You know, it's a privilege what we get to do as a church. Um, we are very committed to missions here. I'll explain that more after Jimmy's done speaking here in just a moment. But we, from our foundation as a church, decided we were going to do whatever it took to be generous, to send out missionaries and do the work of the Lord, um, even at the cost to our own staff. And so I'll explain that a little bit later. But um, just as an FYI... are flying out tomorrow, correct? Well, yeah. So, yeah, you can hear the kids. 1.30 a.m., like we never get to stay up this late. It's gonna be awesome, right? And the parents are like, oh. <laughs> so, um, but they are flying back out, and uh, so we wanna be praying for them. Again, they shared last week about their ministry. If you feel led to give an offering to them, they would greatly appreciate it. We can get you the information to do that. Uh, as well. And then this week, we get the, another privilege of having Jimmy and his wife, uh, Heather, here. Um, I think I should call him Dr. Winfrey. Is that correct? Um, anyway, so, um, and uh, Jimmy's going to be uh, coming up and sharing. We actually met in 2008. We were both commissioned as missionaries in 2008 when we were coming here to think about planting this church. They were commissioned and being sent out, and we've been in ministry uh, and kept in contact over the years. Uh, We have a partnership in Ecuador that we uh, partner with, local churches there. Jimmy served in Ecuador, but a different partnership. But it's amazing how our lives get connected. Um, And Jimmy is now one of the leaders with reaching and teaching. And so we've invited him to come to share. But before he does that, one thing I want you to be aware of is we have these Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we want to give you a very nice Bible. And so um, if you don't have one, it's something we want to provide for you. And so if you don't have a Bible, well, this will be on the table. If it's gone, talk to one of us. We'll get you one. And if you remember, Jimmy's actually going to share about his ministry, but more than that, he's going to preach on Revelation chapter 5. When I asked him, do you have a sermon from Revelation, you know, if you want to come share this fall, he was like, yes, Revelation 5. Like he had it ready to go. Okay, then I'll make my sermon fit that. And so, um, but I want to give you the intro kind of to our series. We've been talking about in our series, the idea of blessed. You know, what does it look like to be blessed? Because the world says all kinds of stuff about what a blessing truly is or what blessing looks like. And the Bible, and we've looked at this over the last several weeks, has some pretty clear things that kind of push back against our worldly definitions of blessing to look more eternal. Um, The book of Revelation was written for that very purpose. Revelation was written for the purpose, and the scriptures say it. In Revelation chapter 1, it says you are blessed, and in the end of Revelation, it says you are blessed. Next slide. And so it's, or whoever has it, there you go. The one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear and keep it are blessed. Blessed is he who heeds this book. And so John writes the book to say, I want to explain to you what a blessed life looks like, a surrendered life looks like, because there's a world that's lying to us about what blessing really looks like. And so that's why the book of Revelation was written. It wasn't so we got in arguments about end times. Uh, Actually, you know, last couple of weeks, the first message I preached was on the idea of, you know, reading, hearing, listening. Those were the the things. Keep advancing back there. There you go. Um, Read, hear, and keep. That's what you were told to do, right? The John the Apostle wrote this book. He writes it and he says, hey, read it, hear it, keep it. These are the words that are going to give you the blessing you're looking for. The next week, we looked at the idea of listening, repenting, 
And that's where real victory is in life. And we taught you how to read the Bible through God, man, me, do. We talked about that and that God wrote seven letters to the seven churches. And then after that, last week, we talked about the fact that after this, after kind of the beginning of the book, he says, after, here's what's coming. And he says, come and look and see how great God is and what he's going to do. And we talked about our vision of go, know, show, and grow here at FX Church. And so the thing I'm always going to remind you about is that when you read the book of Revelation, number one, you need to know what the rest of the Bible says, otherwise you're going to misinterpret Revelation, so don't read that book first. Make sure you read the rest of the Bible. But then the thing I want you to remember is what Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Acts. This is what he said. Remember, he said, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? The disciples were like, hey, is it time for the blessing? Is it time that we're going to finally win, that we're going to conquer? You know, it's September 11th today. It's amazing how quickly we forget, right? Did you remember it was September 11th? That that was the day that our nation got rocked to the core? And now just a few years later, it's forgotten? And so the disciples had not forgotten. They had remembered. And then he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus looks at them and says, you are not going to be able to figure this out. It's not meant for you to know. You're not to know the times and the periods the Father has set. And we hate not knowing, don't we? There's nothing worse than not knowing and being told you can't know. You can't figure it out. And Jesus said, look, remember that. And he said, the reason I want you to remember that is because I want you to remember this next thing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Power to do what? To endure, like Jay talked about. To be my witnesses. And the word there, witness, means martyr. To be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. So Jesus is saying, look, the greatest blessing that you can give is laying down your life, which is what he did for others. Being a martyr, not to earn something, but because you understand that you already have the kingdom. That's what he told them. It's already yours. It's already been given. You just have to wait. And when you die, you're gonna go to heaven. He's gonna resurrect you. And so as we continue in the book of Revelation and as Jimmy continues to walk us through this and explains to us how their ministry is fulfilling this command to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth, It couldn't be more fitting for him to come speak to us and to say, yeah, this is what it looks like to obey Jesus and to understand the book of Revelation and to understand the ending of time and the ending of the book. So with that, Jimmy, come on up. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you all so much for having me this morning. I want to introduce myself and my family in just a moment, but first I want to say thank you so much to Matt for the invitation to come and preach this morning. Um, I hope you guys realize what a blessing it is to have a pastor who, who loves you and is faithful to preach the Word of God to you, and just the faithfulness of his ministry. In fact, um, thinking back to 2008, that was our very first ministry position, and yet um, all these years later, Matt is still doing uh, basically the same thing, you know, 15, 17 years later, whatever it may be. And the average pastor stays in ministry for about three and a half years, about three and a half years. So to think that you've been doing this for more than a decade, reaching out to young people, 
trying to um, make sure that God's word is preached and his church is established and spread. I appreciate that faithfulness, brother. Thank you for having us. Well, my name is Jimmy Winfrey. My wife, Heather, is here with us and want to share a little bit about uh, our ministry with Reaching and Teaching. So if we want to go to our slides, if you want to go to the next slide. So we've got six kids. So half of them are still in here. The other half are upstairs. But Willow is here. She's about to turn 13 here in just a couple days, actually. And then Walker is here. He's, are you 11 now? Is that right? Yep, 11. We've got, um, who else? Weston is upstairs. He's about to turn six. Waverly is seven. Uh, Wallace, little blonde-haired boy, is three. And then then Windsor, who we call Winnie, uh, is 10 months old. So, hey, she's saying hi to you guys. Good job. I think she recognized her name, seriously. That was pretty great. So she's been saying dada lately, so that's her first word, even though mama does everything for her. She doesn't get the, <laughs> the pleasure of being the first word, but thankful to have uh, my family here with me this morning, faithful, uh, thankful to be able to share with you guys. So we are um, serving with a ministry called Reaching and Teaching International Ministries, and primarily our goal is to see uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ spread to the ends of the earth. But... We want to go about this in the way that we believe the Lord has, um, has planned and, uh, and called us to go about that. And that is via the means of healthy local churches. So we'll talk about that a little bit in our sermon. But ultimately, the Lord has the plan that churches will be planted, churches will multiply, churches will preach the gospel, and then they will do that all over again throughout the world until every tribe, tongue, and nation are reached with the gospel. So we've been with Reaching and Teaching for over seven years now, uh, the majority of that time as missionaries in Ecuador, uh, which, have you been to Ecuador? I didn't know that. Where did you go? Well, I don't remember every conversation we've ever had, Jay. No, where were you? In Quito. Okay, yeah. So, um, Quito is the capital, and then Guayaquil is the largest city. We lived in the third largest city named Cuenca, and um, primarily served within the context of a local church, planted a Bible college, worked a lot with the college ministry, and as we'll talk about, one of uh, the things that we are uh, most passionate about is seeing people, especially of your all's age, who kind of have your whole life in front of you, trying to decide how you can best use your life for God's glory. We want to help you to think through Um, not only how you can live for his glory, but how can you make sure that his name is made famous like we sang about to the ends of the earth. And so we hope that you would, uh, even through this sermon and through uh, the practicum that Jay talked about that I'll I'll explain a little bit, that you can just think, regardless of whether I go as a long-term missionary or I end up being a doctor, a lawyer, or a a homemaker here in the States, how can I use this short time that God has given me on earth to make a difference to the ends of the earth? So I hope that that's something that we can talk through. But one of, the, one of the things that is so important when we talk about God's plan for reaching the nations is that healthy local churches require pastors to lead them. That's one of the primary qualifications of having a church. You can have a Bible study and not have a church. You can have a small group and not have a church. If you have a church, you must have a pastor who's leading in the preaching of the word, in the singing of the word, in the administration of the ordinances. Now, 
unfortunately, one of the reasons that reaching and teaching exists is because, especially over the past 10 to 20 years, a lot of missions efforts have kind of tried to sidestep the church in the name of pragmatism and speed. And as a result, what they've tried to do is try, they've tried to go and make as many converts as possible, as quickly as possible, and then move on and do it all over again. And as a result, instead of making disciples, which by the way, the Great Commission doesn't call us to go and make converts, calls us to go and make disciples, teaching them all that Christ has commanded us, which you just can't do in six weeks or six months. It takes time. It takes a kind of faithfulness that I talked about with Matthew. But when, when missionaries fail to do that, then all of a sudden the pastors uh, are not discipled. They're not prepared. They're not equipped to lead like God has called a pastor to shepherd the flock. And sadly, we've begun to see the consequences of this kind of missionary effort that doesn't take the time. Like Paul tells Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy 2.2, all that I have commanded you in the presence of many witnesses, go and teach other faithful men to do likewise. So that's four generations of, of, of church life and leadership that God is concerned about. Paul, one, Timothy, two, the other faithful men in the church, three, go and tell others to do likewise, four. God's not just concerned about today. There's a reason that the church has lasted for 2,000 years and that the gospel made it from a little town in Israel all the way to Bloomington, Indiana to your ears. You know why? Because churches and Christians like you have been faithful to communicate that gospel, to disciple others, and then to spread it throughout the world until it got to you. That's God's plan. And we get the privilege now of continuing that plan throughout the nations. But unfortunately, when we don't go about this plan God's way and we don't prepare pastors, there are massive consequences. So, for example, oftentimes you'll hear missionaries talking about these huge numbers of converts, these huge numbers of churches planted, and then you go back in a year, in five years, in ten years, and you can't find these, these new Christians. You can't find these churches. Or worse yet, these churches are now preaching prosperity gospel heresy, or they're, Jeho they're Jehovah's Witness kingdom halls or Mormon temples because nobody prepared the Christians and especially the pastors to combat the wolves and protect the flock. In fact, uh, it's estimated that here in the United States, there's one trained leader for every 250 people. So for every 250 people in the States, there's one trained Christian leader. When you go outside of the United States, it's one trained Christian leader for every 450,000 people. The difference is just massive. And it's estimated that 85% of pastors around the world have never received any type of real discipleship to help them to do what they've been called to do. So reaching and teaching, this is not all that we do, but it's a big part of what we do, is trying to establish and strengthen healthy churches, especially via pastoral training. And so that's what we did in Ecuador. We established a small Bible college, and we began to train pastors. If you want to go to the next slide... Uh, more than that, we established these week-long um, theological training modules where students would come. We would train them all day, every day for a week. We would do that three times uh, a year for three years, nine total classes. So basically, we're taking seminary to people who, who would otherwise have no access to theological education. Uh, and those stars, this is the country of Ecuador. So those stars are some of the places that we established 
um, short-term theological training centers. If you'll notice the one on the eastern part of Ecuador there, that's actually in the Ecuadorian uh, rainforest, in the Amazon rainforest. So if you guys are familiar with the story of Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, the missionary martyrs, this particular training site is very close to there. And in fact, I'll talk about practicum opportunities in a, in a moment. Uh, this summer, one of the teams that's hosting is going to be doing, doing some ministry in the jungle in that area. So just amazing to think that that kind of missionary legacy is continuing on with us, and we still have the opportunity to train and invest in leaders there. But we've actually had, so the Amazon River runs up kind of the the east side of Ecuador in Peru there, and we've actually, in some of our classes, had um, uh, Christian leaders who have traveled five days by boat up the Amazon rainforest just to get to the classes to learn more about the Bible. I mean, they're just so hungry for it, something we take for granted, that we can just come here each Sunday and learn from a pastor who's devoted his life to teaching us the Word. These men just have never had that, and they're so hungry for it. And that's just Ecuador. We're doing this all over the world by God's grace. So in addition to pastoral training, we have single ladies on the field who are uh, based out of local churches who are doing women's discipleship. We have a women's training curriculum. Um, We have uh, men who are doing church planting, church revitalization. Uh, There's many different ways in which we're trying to do um, the kind of the ethos of reaching and teaching. But it's all centered around the fact that we believe the local church is God's chosen means for accomplishing the Great Commission. And if we overlook that and try to do it in our own strength, there's going to be consequences. If you want to go to the next, this is one of our classes, by the way, that um, we just recently conducted in April. So uh, I'll go back to um, to Ecuador in October, and we'll do module four. So after the, the students do these nine modules, they receive a certificate. We do a graduation. You know, they do caps and gowns. And man, it's like a party. Like, they're inviting everybody. So in, in Ecuador, it's one of those parties you kind of don't really want to go to, because in Ecuador, the, um, the culinary delicacy is cui. So does anybody know what cui is? What? Yes, it's guinea pig. So whenever something like a big party is about to happen, then they, they go and they get these guinea pigs, and they, they actually have these guinea pig festivals in Ecuador where they dress them up like little indigenous Quechua people. So they put little clothes on them and things like that, and then uh, after they have their celebration, they, they put them on the spit and they start to roast them, and then they eat them. Um, and so... It's fine, like it's not the, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, it's just like something we would go to the pet store, you know, and buy. So we're just not used to (laughs) to actually eating something you buy in a pet store. Um, But yeah, but they love it. And so it's a big celebration. We have some kui, and we just praise the Lord for the fact that we've been able to do something for them that for the most part, they didn't think that they'd ever be able to receive. So very thankful for that. Uh, If you want to go to the next slide. Um, In our most recent trip, we had an opportunity to do an expository preaching conference for about 25 pastors. Uh, as you can see here, having lunch together with uh, my pastor, Dr. Oric, way in the back. Um, he's my pastor at our church uh, outside of Louisville, Kentucky, which, by the way, so I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, and me and Jay had a lot of good, well, they weren't even good debates. They were just conversations about Indiana and Kentucky, right? But, but just to show our unity in Christ, I decided to wear my red and blue shirt today. This is just for you. So now we're one in Christ. (laughs) Praise the Lord. 
<laughs> my dad actually was an insurance salesman, and he was like the regional uh, manager for uh, Kentucky and Indiana. So I had to get to know and love my Indiana brethren as well. So I just thought I'd honor you with this shirt. But um, so we had an awesome opportunity to do an expository preaching conference for these pastors. So every time I go back, we do one of these conferences. And we're just trying to help them to rightly handle the word of truth. Because we believe that the power of the gospel, Romans 1.16, is via the proclamation of his word. Right? The power of the gospel for all who believe. And so as these pastors learn to better, better handle the word, we believe that God is going to move, establish his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to go to the next slide. And then we also have an opportunity to do a youth conference each time that we go. And I think this is really the most impactful thing we do. So when I say youth, like in Latin America, youth is like young adults. So anywhere from 18 to 30 who aren't married for the most part. And these young people are probably really similar to you guys. I think that if, if you're anything like me at, at your age, I kind of saw the, the, the nominal Christianity of my, my parents and their generation, and I didn't want anything to do with that. I didn't want it to just be, you know, an addition to my life. I, I, I was like, if this is true, if Jesus is who he claims to be, then it should totally and radically transform every area of my life. And I think that's exactly where these young people are. And so it's been such a privilege to get to pour into them and get to see them step up in leadership. And man, they are hungry uh, and, and just excited to make a difference in their country. And one of the things that Reaching Teaching is all about is what we call the indigenous principle, which is basically this. No matter how well a missionary ever knows the language or ever knows the culture, those people are always going to know their people, their language, their culture better than we ever will. So why don't we equip them to reach their people for the gospel? And then not stopping there, why don't we help them to understand that they don't just receive missionaries, they're called to be missionaries too. And the truth is that Latin Americans, for example, can go places like uh, Iraq or the 1040 window, the Middle East, and face far fewer challenges than gringos like us often can. You know, we go and we're the Americans, so we're the warmongers, we're the ones who send out all the porn. You know, they have all these terrible stereotypes about us, and often we can't even get a hearing of the gospel. And yet Latin Americans don't face that same kind of um, initial prejudice. So we're trying to raise up missionaries from all over the world because we can't do this on our own. That's not God's plan anyway. We're sending out people from everywhere. So you want to go to the next one? So these are just some things um, talking about how uh, reaching and teaching has been blessed in recent years. So just over the past two years via our mobilization efforts. So in addition to going to Ecuador and teaching classes and other places, I also work in mobilization, which means I help to promote and prepare missionaries for the field. So we've gone from 25 missionaries a couple years ago to 85 missionaries in 40 different countries right now. And I think it's because the more that people hear about our focus on um, on the gospel, the local church, and missions in this kind of biblical way. People are just drawn to it. And so we're just really thankful for all that the Lord has done. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, practicum here in just a second that Jay participated in, but we had 22 practicum students um, go out to eight different countries. Um, so if you want to go to the next slide, it's just um, a map of all the different places that reaching and teaching missionaries are serving. So we're in almost 40 different countries on almost every continent now. You can go to the next slide. And then this, so this was our practicum group that we sent out this year. 
Um, let me tell you just a little bit about the practicum. So the practicum, I'm, I'm the practicum coordinator, and the whole goal of the practicum is to have 18 to 25-year-old brothers and sisters in Christ get the opportunity to experience a holistic cross-cultural experience on the mission field. Um, if you guys have been, have, have any of you all been on like a week or a 10-day, two-week mission trip? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, so several of you. So you kind of know that when you go for a week or two, it can be kind of like a glorified vacation sometimes, right? And that doesn't mean you're not doing good things, right? You're doing good things, but you're not really experiencing what it's like to actually live on the field, right? You're kind of going 24-7, and certainly missionaries have times and seasons of busyness like that. But oftentimes, there's very mundane aspects to living on the mission field. And so with the six-week program, we want to give young people like you all the opportunity to experience every aspect of life on the field. And so like Jay said, you know, he was experiencing some culture shock, some homesickness, some hard times, but now he's so thankful because he learned to rely on the Lord, and he has a much better idea now of what the missionaries who live there full-time actually go through in order to, to sustain their ministry on the field. And that's exactly what we want to see. We want you guys to know what it's like to have a small taste of what it's like to live and serve alongside uh, reaching and teaching missionaries on the field. So towards the end of um, my sermon this morning, I'm going to give out um, a form. And you guys, if you would just like some more information about what it might look like to go on the practicum this summer, we have 12 different locations to choose from, and not just different locations, but different types of ministry. So just like I said, we have various different people doing various different kinds of ministry within the kind of reaching and teaching DNA. If you would be interested at all in talking more about it, of course, we'll be here in the back and can talk about it. But I'd also like for you to put your email address on the form and just write interest in practicum or practicum. And I'll send you an email. I'll give you some links to the practicum website, to our blog. Uh, you can read a little bit more about it. And then we can set up a quick Zoom chat and just talk through uh, what it might look like for you guys to, uh, to get involved. So I would love to, to talk with some, some of you all more. Um, Jay, um, also, um, not only did Jay go on the practicum, but also Bray Snyder, who many of you guys know, obviously, went as well. So um, just so thankful for that connection here with this church and pray that more of you guys would be interested in going next summer. Um, and then just uh, the, the highlight of everything I get to do is is helping to prepare and work with missionaries who we send to the field long-term. Uh, this is just one example of a missionary family that works with reaching and teaching in Uganda. Um, this is um, the, the Ratten family. And let me just tell you, they, they remind me of Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, because if you know anything about the Elliots, they could have done anything. Like, Jim Elliott was a genius. I heard him preach on, on a recording, and he sounds like Billy Graham. You know, he could have stayed here and been the next Billy Graham. He was like the captain of the wrestling team at Wheaton. He was like a straight ace. I mean, just, and Elizabeth Elliot is like this prophetic genius. She was calling stuff that was happening, that's happening in our culture now, she was calling it like 30 years ago. Like, this is going to result from what's going on now, and she was exactly right. And yet, they chose to lay down their lives in the jungles of Ecuador for the proclamation of the gospel. That's exactly what the Rattans are doing. Um, Abby, the wife, she's a doctor. You know, she could be here making tons of money and doing lots of great things. And don't get me wrong, it's not, you're not 
you know, more pleasing to the Lord because you go to the mission field as opposed to being a doctor in the States. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it's such an inspiration to see people like the Rattans who could do anything with their lives, who have adopted special needs children where it would be far easier to stay in the States and get the kind of help that they need. But instead, they've chose to go through, um, to lay it all down and go through the hardship in a place like Uganda just so that the gospel may be spread and God may be glorified. So it's the privilege of my life to get to work with missionaries like this. So with that in mind, that's just a a brief, brief overview of Reaching and Teaching. Would love to talk to you guys more about opportunities to get involved both in the practicum or even long-term ministry, if that's something that you're interested in. But I do want to look in the Word for just a moment and talk about why we do any of this. What is our ultimate motivation for missions. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. While you're turning there, I was just thinking about how, um, as we talk about reaching and teaching, being centered on God's um, chosen means of missions, being the local church, who is Revelation written to? It's written to seven churches. In fact, Jay, he worked in a kind of um, uh, missions as business type model with the missionary that he worked with in, in the country he served in. And they visited as a tourism company the seven different churches of Revelation in that country and used that as a ministry means as well as a platform to be in the country. But that's who, that's who Revelation is written to. We're going to look and briefly see in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, virtually every letter of the New Testament is written to a church. If you take the, new, the, the local church out of the New Testament, you don't have anything left. It doesn't make any sense without the local church. And so I hope, even as we just study this briefly this morning, that our love for God's bride would grow, that we would learn to love the local church like Jesus loves his church and laid his life down for her. So with that in mind, let's read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. The word of the, God, of, of the Lord says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. So first of all, we, we, we get this glimpse into the throne room of God in which in the strong right hand of the Lord is this scroll. This scroll, which most scholars agree is the very redemptive plan of God for all of history. And it says that it's sealed with seven seals. So it's, it's locked perfectly. We're going to see the number seven significantly uh, throughout this passage. That means that it's, 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 it's sealed in such a way that nobody can open it. And in fact, that's what we see here in verse 2. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This is a bleak situation. The very plan of God to redeem a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as we're going to see, seems like 
It's not going to happen. In fact, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, where if we just read the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, it is a very bleak situation. It says this in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Who's he writing to? The church. He's writing to Christians. This is our former state. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's a bleak situation. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. You can preach the gospel till you're blue in the face to dead men, and in their own power, they can never respond. We are children of wrath. That means we deserve the punishment of God by our very nature. We're conceived in sin in our mother's womb. And in our hearts, all of us have this sense of the divine, whether we can read this in in Romans chapter 2, whether we have the Bible, whether we've never heard of the name of Jesus before, all men have a conscience. All men know that God exists from from the very uh, revelation of nature. All of us have this sense of the divine within us. And that's why virtually every culture, virtually every tribe that's ever existed has had some sort of religion. And that religion almost always is trying to appease these gods who they know are angry with them. But the problem is that these prophets like Joseph Smith with the Mormons or Muhammad with Islam or Buddha, none of those prophets, none of these man-made religions are worthy to break the seals of the scroll, and to accomplish the redemption of sinners. They're all empty. Dead men can't do this. It's a bleak situation. But God. But God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Those are two of the best words in the entire Bible. Because of His great love with which He loved us. He has made a way. He has done in the person of Christ what we could never do on our own. Look with me back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I want you to see something amazing here. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So we have this lion of the tribe of Judah, this long-awaited Messiah, who is not just the lion, the ruling king of the universe, who has conquered sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. He is this mighty warrior king who's done what we could not do. Sometimes when we read the story of David and Goliath, we want to say, you know, yeah, this is an inspiration. I want to be like David, right? Guess what? You're not like David. You're like the Israelites who are running away from Goliath. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one who can kill 
the enemy for us. He's the one who destroys Satan. He conquered. But then look, he's also this lamb. How did he do it? He did it via the cross. And more than that, he's a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So once again, this number seven, he's got seven eyes, he's got seven horns. Horns, if, like Matt was saying, if you're a reader of the Bible, especially in the book of Daniel, these horns represent power. They rep- represent authority. And guess what? Jesus has perfect authority. He has perfect um, uh, omni, uh, omnipotent power. He's omnipotent. He has all power. Not only that, he has seven eyes. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. That's why on the day of judgment, when sinners stand before the throne, God doesn't need a prosecutor. God doesn't need witnesses to give testimony because he's already seen all of our sin. He was there when you committed those things that you don't want anybody to know about. And there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. You can't escape this all-powerful, all-knowing God's presence. Thank God for this lamb. Thank God for this lamb who comes before God and says, let what I did on the cross count for him. Let my death be a substitute for her. Let my perfect life count for him. And let me take the wrath that he deserves upon myself. But thanks be to God that he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave and now he rules and he reigns forevermore. And he's sending his spirit into the churches, through the churches to the ends of the earth. Revelation goes on to say, listen to this, verse 7, and he, Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Think about that. Have you guys read in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, this, this peek into the throne room of God? It's this terrifying thing where Isaiah says, I can't even look at him. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among an unclean people. Can't even look at the very glory and presence of God. And Jesus walks right up to his throne and takes the scroll out of his hand. Who is this? This is our God, and this is our King. The only one who could do this. This is the name that we proclaim. Let me just tell you, sometimes I think we do evangelism like we're begging people. We're begging people to believe in Jesus. Like Jesus is some poor beggar as well that just is hoping that somebody will love him, that's just hoping that somebody would adore him. Jesus is the king of the universe, and he commands all men everywhere to repent. And we are his ambassadors sent out with that message of the gospel, commanding all men everywhere to repent. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's a vast difference from the way that a lot of people do missions and evangelism. Let's act like children of the king. We'll talk about that in just a second. So Jesus goes and he takes the very scroll from the very hand of God. And when he had the scroll, verse 8, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. Two things. In the very presence of God, someone else is being worshipped because Jesus is God in the flesh. Over and over again, we see examples in the scriptures where Paul and Barnabas go places and they do miracles and the people try to worship them. And what do they say? Get off your knees. I'm a man like you. Jesus receives worship over and over again throughout the scriptures, including in the very throne room of God because he is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And be encouraged, saints. None of your prayers ever go unheard. There are bowls full of your prayers that are before the throne forevermore. And the answer to all of our prayers are ultimately found, their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. When he accomplishes God's purposes, your prayers are ultimately answered. And then they sang a new song. The motivation for missions is the glory of God. John Piper said, if you want to go to to the slide real quick, John Piper said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is temporary, but worship is forever. There's not going to be any need for proclaiming the gospel to the lost in heaven, but we're going to worship the Savior forevermore. So let me encourage you, As you think about your primary motivation, whether it's evangelism here on campus, whether it's it's growing in sanctification, whether it is taking the gospel to the nations, your primary motivation has to be the the very fame uh, and glory of the name of Christ, just like we sang about this morning, because that will never let you down. If your primary motivation is the salvation of the lost, that's a good motivation, and it should be part of it, as I'll say in just a second. But people are going to let you down. People are sinners that are going to disappoint you. You're going to pour your life into some people and they're going to walk away like Judas did. But God will never let you down. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Live for his kingdom. I tell this story sometimes so my kids will will laugh, but I can remember when I was a little kid, I was probably four or five years old, and there was this picture in my living room of me on the beach. And I had like this um, bucket and I was building sandcastles, right? But in the picture, I'm mad. Like, I'm not smiling. I'm, I'm clearly upset. And, but, and I remember why to this day. It's because every time I built a sandcastle, you know what happened? The ocean came and knocked it down. And I had to build it again. The ocean came and knocked it down. And I thought to myself, isn't that how we are as, as people? We're so preoccupied with building our little kingdoms that are only going to last for an instant that we fail to look at the vast ocean of God's glory and live for that instead of this. So I would ask you, are you living for your little kingdoms made of sand or are you living for the everlasting kingdom of this king? Because he's worthy. So this is the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and tongue and language and people and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth we are now priests we join with brothers and sisters from every tribe tongue and nation and we invite them into the presence of God this was not possible without the death of Christ on the cross You guys remember when he died on the cross? 
What happened to the veil? It was torn in two. Signifying that now the very presence of God is open to God's people. And now we proclaim that message. You can be made right with God. You can have a relationship. You can be adopted in the very family of God. And when you get adopted into this family, look at the brothers and sisters you gain. A people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. What a blessing. And I would encourage you, if you uh, would flip over to Philippians just briefly in chapter 2. Christ calls us to remember our brothers and sisters. uh, Calls us to remember people all over the world who are by nature children of wrath, but need the gospel. And he calls us in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself in order to serve others. So motivation, number one, God's glory. But remember that we ought to have a love for the Lord and a love for the lost. Let's humble ourselves. Let's think about ourselves correctly, that we're ambassadors for the king and that these lost people have no hope outside of the gospel. Are you convinced of that? Are you convinced that nobody is going to heaven without hearing the gospel of Christ, repenting and believing in him? Because if you're making excuses and you think that somebody's getting saved any other way, then you're never going to cross the ocean to preach the gospel, much less cross the street. You're never going to do it. You've got to know that the gospel and the gospel alone, like Romans chapter 10 tells us, is the only means of salvation. And C.S. Lewis has a great quote that I hope will encourage you guys to think about the, the eternal cosmic nature of all your interactions with the lost. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. So when he says gods and goddesses, he's not talking about literal gods, but he's talking about us in our glorified eternal states. That if we could just see one person who's glorified like Jesus is, if we could see one brother in Christ in that glorified state, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship them. They'd be so beautiful. Or if we could see somebody who is destined for hell in their eternal state, the horror would cause us to turn our faces away. He goes on to say, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all our love, all our play, all our politics, because there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. All of us are going to live forever. All of us are going to have an eternal state that is either glorious beyond imagination or horrendous beyond our worst nightmare. Every interaction we have is helping a person towards one of those two ends.
So are we busy living for our little kingdom that's going to be gone like that? Or are we busy living for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to produce people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will live forever? And we'll get to join with them in verse 12, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, all that is in them, saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. There's multiple ways that even through reaching and teaching, through your local church, there are ways in which you can further this kingdom to the ends of the earth. So if you go to the next slide that I have, please. There are three ways that you can do it just with us. You can pray for us. So I'm going to have Willow and Walker just hand out these forms that I mentioned. If you'll put your email address down, we're also going to give you a prayer card. You can just put it on your fridge. When you see that, just pray for us. There are spiritual battles going on at this very moment um, that without the prayers of the saints that we read about, we just simply cannot have victory. On the mission field, it's not as if Satan doesn't work here. He just kind of like works in a veiled fashion. Oftentimes on the mission field, man, he is just like outright. It's crazy. And we just need prayers for you. You guys can go ahead and hand those out. Um, if you'll put your email address, then we'll add you to our newsletter, and you guys can just receive our newsletter and pray for everything that's going on in our ministry. So pray with us. Go with us. We would love to organize a short-term trip at some point in the future, Matt, to where you guys can go. You can t- train pastors. You can help us teach young people. We do VBSs in Guayaquil where you can teach the young people, uh, the kids there, um, the, the young adults that I, that I showed you, they would be thrilled to have people their age who care enough to go on the field and to encourage them and teach the word to them. They would be thrilled and encouraged by that. You could go on the practicum with us. So like I mentioned, take that, um, take that form, put your email down if you want our newsletter, but also put practicum and I'll contact you with some more information about the practicum and we can meet and talk a little bit as well. And then give to us. Everything that we do we do as self-supported missionaries who receive all of our salary, all of our trip expenses, our ministry uh, expenses through churches like yours. And you know what? I can remember when Matt and I were first being commissioned to do college ministry um, back in 2008. I loved everything about what we were called to do at that time. Same thing as, as I love everything about what we're doing now, except the fact that we had to raise our own funds. And Jay, I bet you could say the same thing about the practicum, right? But I can honestly tell you now, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love being able to come to churches like this, getting to meet brothers and sisters in Christ like you all, who can give to us and be invested in what we do, to know our faces, to know our families, to get to see us come and visit your church, and to know exactly what we're doing, to know exactly what our ministry is, to know exactly who you're supporting. There's just so much kind of like anonymity, I feel like, in missions so often, right? Where you don't really know the person. You don't really know what you're supporting. And yet with this kind of fundraising that I think is very biblical, you guys realize just like all these letters are written to New Testament churches in the New Testament, in the New Testament they're basically support raising letters too. Like, thank you for your support of the gospel. In my every remembrance of you, I pray for you. Paul was supported. Jesus was supported by brothers and sisters out of their own means so they could devote themselves to full-time ministry. 
And that's exactly what we're doing as well. So uh, pray for us. Write down your email address, and we'll add you to our newsletter. You can give to us. We have to raise about $750 a month to be fully funded for next year. We have to raise about $7,500 for ministry expenses next year to travel, to do all that God has called us to do. So you can sign up to do monthly giving. So I know you guys are, for the most part, college students. You might not have much, but every little bit counts. So if you can give $25 a month, it'd be a huge blessing. Or you can give a one-time gift today or go online and do that. And be a part of what God is doing. Because in the end, Charles Spurgeon said this, there are really three options when it comes to the Great Commission. You can either be a goer. So a lot of you guys are in preparation mode right now, and that's great. Take this time in your 20s and prepare. Take the next three to four years and prepare for the next 30 or 40 years. Okay? That's wise. So you may not be able to go right now long term, but you can be a sender, right? And part of the way you send is through your local church and through supporting ministries like ours. So be a goer, be a sender, or be disobedient. Those are the three choices, according to Charles Spurgeon. So thank you once again for the opportunity to be here. I pray that you've been encouraged by the word. I would love, love, love to get to know you a little bit more, talk about the practicum, talk about ways that we can go. And more than anything, I pray that you got a little glimpse of God's glory this morning and that you would understand that all that we read about, those great scenes that we get to take part in in heaven, are all accomplished via local churches just like this, You would think we're so insignificant. What can we do for the kingdom? And yet God uses churches just like this. Little outposts of the kingdom with little ambassadors right here in Bloomington, Indiana to preach the gospel. And he does that in various places all over the world. And he'll continue to do that until Christ returns and he's reached people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen. Yeah, brother, thank you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this place this morning, and Lord, just not to be a church that's focused on us, but Lord, we genuinely want to be focused on your glory, which is what we read about in Revelation chapter 5, and your glory through the nations. And Lord, thank you that you are bringing people to Bloomington from all over the world that we get to tell the gospel to that the world is in our backyard, um, and that we get to then send them out and be sent uh, to the world. And so we give you the praise and glory for that. And it's hard. It's hard to leave relationships behind, to, to uh, be sent out. Um, it's also hard to stay when you see everybody going and you think, oh, I want to go too. Instead, you call many of us to stay mm-hmm. and to give our lives to send, which can sometimes be even harder because everybody leaves you. Um, and so, Lord, I thank you for faithfulness of brethren and like Jimmy and Jay Bryan and Kathy. And Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness that you've given uh, over the years to these men that I've walked alongside. And Lord, help us to continue to endure and for you to do your work. We give you the praise and the glory and honor this morning because guess what? That's what we're going to be doing for eternity. So we might as well get used to it. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.